What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio, transmitting from the future free state of Greater Idaho. I am the one-armed madman, and with me today, from Cape Fear, we've got Chris Bledsoe. Chris, thank you so much for coming on tonight, my man. I just finished your book. Really, really interesting story you've got going on. Hey, I appreciate you having me, um, and uh, honored you you read my book. I hope it connects a few dots there. It does, and you know, it 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 really rings home to me a lot of your life. You know, let's <laughs> we'll start off with this. My family has told me for years. I grew up racing motocross, and I got hurt all the time, so they they've called me accident prone. Yeah, and yeah, I think I was, you fit that category as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of these accidents and near-death experiences that you've had throughout your life? Well, it, it started, you know, when you read the book, I'll get more, I get a lot more into detail, but I still only listed um, the major ones. There was a lot more injuries in that, uh, during that I didn't write about. Uh, a lot of stitches and and falls and whatever, but started when I was two. I caught, I got uh, caught fire. Getting back in the day, you know, I'm 61 and grew up out in the country on a farm. My grandmother, we didn't have a dump anywhere. You had to dispose of your trash. You just burned it, and that's we had a trash pile in the back. And I got too close to it when I was little, and next thing I know, I had third degree burns on my left leg you know, up to my knees and then it goes on to six years old. I, I've got cut right here, 24 stitches in my face and I was shot point blank in the back at 10 years old with a shotgun from six foot away, blew a hole in me this big on that a 10 year old frame. That was yeah. the gnarliest story I think in the book that I, that I heard. I couldn't believe that a 10 year old could survive something like that. And I mean, talk about burns. I, I was in the burn center for, for four months and that's the worst place on the planet. I mean, there yeah. is, there was a little girl there who had like spilled macaroni and cheese, boiling water all down her head and down her side. And she was like you growing so fast that the skin was ripping and you knew every day when she was in physical therapy, because just a little bit of stretching was excruciating for her. Yeah. It, it was just like it's the worst place on the planet. Yeah. I ran away from the burn center. Oh, I wrote about that. Um, I had a car blew up on me and it burnt me from my, all up beside my face, down my whole entire left side and this arm here. I had operations right here, but uh, I can tell you that is the worst pain. There's no comfort for it. Yeah, I mean, they, it's no getting rid of it. They really do a number on you, and I mean, yeah. for people who don't know, burn unit, burn unit, like nurses and doctors, they're some of the most compassionate people on the planet, but also they're like ready to put you through a whole lot of pain. Like they're they're yeah, the pain they, doctor. They, the, they come in and they're like, "This is gonna hurt." Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to hear pull it. Out iodine, right, and a Brillo pad, basically, and start scrubbing. And they're saying, "We're getting rid of all the dead skin." Well, you you're killing me in the process. I'm bleeding everywhere from them doing that. You know, you've been in. That, yeah. So. And so what do you think it, so like people always ask me, I, I went through, um, I got burned 
uh, getting electrocuted on power lines. How do you, how did you survive that? And I always attest it to, um, my past as a dirt bike racer. So I would get hurt. The doctor would patch me up and I'd be back on the bike again in a couple of weeks and everything would be fine. So I had never had like a serious life threatening injury to where I, so in my mind, it was just, Oh, I crashed on the dirt bike. Oh, they'll take me in, in the meat wagon and they'll, patch me up and I'll be back at work in a, in a little bit. I, I had no idea that all of my doctors thought I was going to die and they were just doing what they could for me. But, um, you know, I, I think that like positivity and prayer and all of those things pr- play a big Absolutely. part in, in, um, surviving something like that. So what do what do you think led you to survive those types of things? Well, just what you just said, prayer, you know, when, when you get hurt, injured that bad it makes a person more sensitive to calling on help right a lot of people can just forget about god and forget about uh there being any kind of creation and they get into the the world and forget where they come from but when something like that grabs a hold to you or your loved one, especially if it's yourself and you're agonizing and wondering if you're going to make it tomorrow. Uh, you tend to automatically start crying out to some greater power. And, and that's why you and I are doing this show right now, because strange things have happened and it comes, I found out in all the hundreds and hundreds and a thousand people that's written me. Uh, telling me about their life story. They were, you know, just now when we were booting up here, I was answering this young lady that that had trauma, but she didn't realize that's what caused the paranormal stuff. So I easily tie that together. It's usually always hand in hand. People who experience UFOs or ghosts or there's some sort of trauma involved. Yeah, I remember reading that in your book. And for me, like I've always been into UFOs and aliens since I was a little kid. So I, I, I was looking for, for the episode of the show that they did on you because you'd written about it in the book. And I thought, man, I should watch this, but I, I couldn't find the dang thing probably, which is probably a good thing for you. I'm sure you're yeah. glad that, that people can't find that thing. But, um, yeah. yeah, I've always wanted to see something. I've always had my eye up on the sky and I've always wanted to see something, and it just hasn't come to me. But I just bought a hot tub, so I'm hoping I'm gonna I'm gonna sit out there in a hot tub. I'm gonna get myself a little telescope so I can hang out. I live right by an airport, so that's you know could be a good or a bad spot. Who knows? But I'm hoping I'm gonna see something. Well, you 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 just may, and that happens to a lot of people I come in contact with. Um, that's in the book we write about it, and it is it. it, it We've recorded it. I have hundreds of emails that people have written me since this book um, has released saying, oh my gosh, I read your book and I went outside and I just kind of threw myself out there and I believed and this big flash happened or this orb appeared and went out and, and a lot of people are experiencing it just from reading the book, but it opens you up to a knowledge. Once you accept it, it's the old the biblical phrase, seek and ye shall find, knock yeah. and the doors will be open. That's very real, I'm yeah. telling you. You know, very your real. story reminded me a lot of a story that I heard recently about Ronald Reagan. 
um, I had always heard that he had had a UFO experience. Um, are you familiar with that story at all? A little bit, yeah. So I'd known his airplane and saw it out the window of his airplane. Is that the same? Uh, no, a different one. So this one yeah. I just read about, he um, was driving down the PCH, and he says a flying saucer went over his head. That's what he called a flying wow. saucer. And he was on his way. He was still an actor at this point. And he was on his way to some big, big shot Hollywood dinner or something like that. And he gets there and he starts telling everybody about it. I just saw this UFO. It's crazy. And it told me something. It told me to stop acting and get into politics. Wow. And <laughs> so, that crazy. Yeah. So the guy who wrote the book uh, attests him wanting to end the Cold War to him being influenced by this UFO. Yeah. That's the way it works. In fact, um, many years ago when first happened the the first government scientist at my home was from nasa and there were several um, but one of the several that i got involved with uh he he was one of the highest level guys there i mean seriously he runs all the launches he's the guy in charge and he would tell me some things um, which is part of why i never would go public uh, a whole lot and share all this information because it, it was uh, a respectful thing. And I got, to, I got a little, I got to learn things that the public didn't learn or never had a chance to, because I was quiet and we studied the phenomena, but he would tell me that he says, it's just like the Bible where more than one are gathered, your combined energy uh, is magnified and they, they come and he said to pull out the, the to watch the movie The Adjustment Bureau. That's a great movie. Has Matt Damon in it. He said, "I'm telling you, there's a reason that movie was made, and um, it's, it's pretty much just like that." And this was one of the first things I heard 15, 14 years ago. Yeah, I think uh, that a lot of these movies and books, especially a lot of these new sci-fi books. I think some of these people have got inside information about what's going on because there's a lot of themes that that seem to follow through in cinema and and you know it could just be people piggybacking off of what's already out there but man I I think that that some people are are trying to soften the blow and you know I when I was a kid I would always throw my hands up just tell everybody no one's going to care it's not you know everybody's used to it now now I'm not so sure that's the case. Like I, you know, it's kind of disconcerting to know that, you know, your property's famous for having have you having these experiences. And I mean, some of these, you know, experiences that you've had that defy physics, if you scale those things up a little bit to, you know, asteroid size or bigger, we're our planet's gone if they want it yeah. to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> they can do it real quick if they want. Yeah. It's the most amazing thing is to uh, be here and to experience this because I sense them now. I would guarantee you if I walked outside, they would be above this building right now. I just feel it that strong. And it's this contact, that connection that I have um, that they put in me way back in, in 07 and that's what has the government's interest in so because I have been able to defy all their logic. They can't even understand how, um, for example, 
and I'll mention this. A friend of mine's in Italy this past for the whole last three weeks. And he's a, a professor, tenured professor, very, very famous in his circles. And he travels the world and he's over in Italy and he has friends there. He's over there a lot. He's in Israel, all over the place, Saudi Arabia or uh, uh, Istanbul. He, he made all these rounds in the last month, but he calls me, he says, Chris, I have a friend here and she's uh, very uh, heartbroken. She lost her husband. I think it was her husband she lost. He didn't really say, because I didn't really ask. I just always try to be compassionate why she was upset, but she had lost a loved one. That's what he told me. And she was brokenhearted beautiful young lady. I mean, she's um, younger than me quite a bit, uh, probably in her 40s, but just completely crushed. And he said, can you, he said, it's eight o'clock here and it's about two o'clock your time. He said, I know it's a lot to ask, but can you uh, ask if the phenomenon will appear for her? I said, yeah, right now. I said, I'm going to work on it right now. So I had my grandson. I was laying down watching a cartoon with him. And when he's only two and a half years old, so we're like stuck together all the time. And so it was really easy to just tune everything out and, and think about her and envision her uh, place. And suddenly the phenomenon appeared in a huge way right above her. And it flashed at her. Several orbs came and flashed. And she'd never seen anything in her life like this. But it was this powerful thing to where she knew it was talking to her directly. And it put her on their radar. And once she learned that, when this thing speaks to you, and you know, oh, my God, something powerful, just I'm on their radar now. It does something to you that there is no going back. And that's what it did to her. And she, she sent me this beautiful long voicemail and now is uh, on an international podcast trying to tell the world about what happened to her. So that's, there's something so incredibly powerful that it can appear on the other side of the planet within seconds of uh, a request for it. Now, we've done this many times. We've studied it. We've documented it, two and three locations. And this summer, there's a new History Channel series going to premiere. I can't say the name for now because we're not allowed to until they get ready. But it's going to um, feature us and part of it. And I think when, if, if they show what they caught here it would take more than two hours to put it all out there but wow. it's going to change a whole lot of people when now, they see it now when you are able to do like i mean to conjure up something like this do you think this is like a technological response or a spiritual response or maybe spiritual. a blending of the two spiritual you think well, uh, yeah, a lot of people have technology, and and that gives them, it's like a conundrum. You can't understand how spirituality or God and technology can work together, right? That's the biggest problem. See, a flying saucer has got to be 
an alien? Well, it don't gotta be. Maybe our our um, our uh, thoughts about what an angel or some sort of heavenly being that probably created us or had part in creating us that watches over this planet and it knows everything you think before you think it. It knows the direction you're going to look. It'll line itself up. You could be facing your uh, self to the south and look back here in one second and it flashes you right in your face. Knew you were going to look that way. When everybody else looked the other way, it's, it, and it can do it in two locations, three locations, to many people at once. It's just incredibly powerful. And this is why the government has no clue what they're dealing with. They do not know. They, you know, a lot of people think, well, they got flying saucers. I don't know if they do or not. Maybe they do. And I've had people at NASA tell me they don't crash. These things don't crash. That's my thought is they're not going right. to let you shoot. The, like we can shoot it down or hack right. it or any of these ridiculous type of, of like it's some weather balloon or something like right. that. It's just, a, yeah, it's a crazy thought that we could shoot down or take control or even figure out what's going on with something right. like that. You know, I the way I look at it is like I don't have a high opinion of the government. And I think that they're, for the most part, morons. Like when we had these weather balloons going up a couple of weeks ago, they were shooting down hobby balloons. And I don't yeah. think they, mis like, I don't think they, you know, did that by, on purpose. Like, I think they don't know what's going on. And somebody just started yelling balloons. So they just started shooting everything down that looked like a balloon. And that's kind yeah. of the way, like, if you scale that up to UFOs, you think, oh, these people are going to have no idea what to do with one of these things. Well, I think they're seeing them, though. Um, and, and this was part of what uh, was into that whole scene. Yeah, they shot some balloons down, but they were seeing things that um, weren't completely wasn't all balloons. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Oh, and yeah. It's a phenomenon. It's a phenomenon. And I told a lot of people in 2019, I had a, a visit right here on my property. This orb came out of the sky. I filmed it for 17 and a half minutes, hovering 25 feet from me. This orb, it would flash on and off. But um, it told me then, in this telepathic message, we're going to um, let you film us and have witnesses with you to uh, reveal our presence to the world. And on top of that, we're going to start appearing around the world in huge numbers to huge crowds to get them ready for it. And I told that in 2019 in 10 interviews. And trust me, these government people listen when I say things like that. And they're seeing these big numbers now. NORAD can see them. Um, they they change their settings to where it's more sensitive and they can see other things. They got they've got technology that can see see these things. Sure, but they just don't know what it is. So I've read that um, when the Spanish came to South America, that people looked out in the ocean and they could be looking directly at the ship and not see it because they weren't conditioned to know that it was, you know, 
something strange. And I wonder right. if these things, like when you talk about the orbs that you see and everything like that, I wonder, are these things always there? And are they just yeah. letting the curtain down momentarily for you to spot it? That's kind of the yeah. way it felt to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, and they can do that. Uh, I don't understand it, right? I don't want to profess that I do. But they have, um, they, they're purposely appearing around me. And, and it's like after all this, this near-death experience and this experience with them missing time, I came back a different person and I've been able to see things and film things. Uh, that have blown people away. Orbs that appear for, with my dog in it. My dog died, and I went out to the to the grave site, and here this orb appears over her grave, and I got a picture of it, and there she is inside a ball of white light, my Labrador. And um, and that's the I, same dog that got cut. Yeah. And the, the stigmata essentially. Yeah. So you can tell yeah. that story if you can. Well, this was um, in 2013. It was May, I think around May the 5th. And uh, I had a friend from Canada. He, he's a researcher, UFO researcher, he's well known in that field. Um, he was in Washington for a meeting there, congressional, UFO congressional thing. And he calls me, he says, he lives in Canada. And I said, he drove to Washington. He said, I've been invited to speak in uh, Miami and I'll be coming right by Pebble. I'd love to stop and hang out a night with you or something. I said, sure. So he did. And we had dinner and uh, he, he stayed. He got there Friday night and stayed Saturday and then left Sunday morning to Miami. And we just talked a lot and had a good time. We'd met before. And he came, he came back about four or five days later after the event down there. And he said, you mind if I stop back by and see this burning tree? I, I didn't get to take pictures of it like I wanted. So we had this magical fire on a tree where a tree caught fire three times and just spontaneously combusted. Crazy. There's, yeah, we it's had crazy. videos of it. And, uh, it got pretty famous, that tree. So he, 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 he calls me and he says, I'm about five minutes out. So I opened the back door and walked out on the patio. It had all the doors and windows open because it's the time of year. It's cool. And um, my kids were out. We we're sitting on the patio out back. He drives up right to the back of the house because our driveway ends at the back of the house. And he gets out with his camera and wants to go see the tree right away. And so he and I walk out. All the kids are on the patio and they're friends. It's about 75 yards from the back, out in the backyard of that tree. Nellie, my black lab, she was following us. And when we'd stop, she'd lay down in the grass and just hang out. And then we'd walk a little ways and go around the tree. She was right there with us the whole time. And so after he took a dozen photos or more of the tree and we stood out there a few minutes, we started back to the house got right up to the patio where all the kids were and we stopped now he's in front of me between me and the house so i was behind him walking to the patio so he stops turns around i'm facing the house he's back to the house nelly's laying on the ground beside me and i said well grant you want to get your 
uh, his name was Grant Cameron. I said, you want to get your bags out, get the kids here to help and go ahead and put them in the house for you. He says, sure. So he turns and turns around and starts towards the house. Nellie jumps up from beside me. And when she ran by him, I saw blood shoot out of her neck. It just shot out like a, a rocket. And she went by him and sprayed the whole side of his pants from his kneecaps to his shoes just with blood. It was on the ground all the way and she ran right in the back door. And because I left the doors open, right? And it's in May and it's cool. And that laminate floor was blood was everywhere. And it's like slip and slide. And I took off and ran in and grabbed her and I picked her up and I got her outside and laid her down on the patio and held her head down. I've got photos and all of this stuff. And she had a cut across her neck, this vein right here. And it was about that long, two inches, I reckon. And um, you could stick your finger out of sight down in there. It was just a big hole. Blood shooting up out. I laid my hand on her neck and I'm, I'm freaked out now because this dog, I love this dog and she's going to die. They want no help in her. I couldn't, I couldn't think of any way. There's no veterinarian nearby. There's no, um, there's no dog ambulance. There's yeah. no getting her in the car and getting her there quick enough. She's dying right here. Yeah. And everybody's freaked out. Oh my God, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. And I looked up at heaven. I said, Lord, what do I do? And when I did that, she just kind of, I, I, I felt this calmness come over her. And this uh, transfer of energy through me to her. And when I lifted my hand, there was no more hope there. Completely gone. And everybody witnesses, they were taking photo. Grant, you know, he's an, an investigator. He, he observed it all. And she got up and waggled her tail and walked away. And so that immediately changed everything. What do you think that message is? Well, you know, I, I was working at that time, had friends in NASA and some good friends that researched medical stuff. And he's like, uh, you know, Chris, that was a pretty good sign. The phenomenon is trying to tell you something. Because, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, the skinwalkers have attacked your dog. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's not what happened. I didn't see it that way. And my NASA friend said, absolutely doesn't matter what happened to her, but it was intended for you to know that you need to try to help others. And that's what he told me. And that really hit home uh, just a little ways later when I get a call from a guy. They'd heard about the dog. It went all through the channels, right? And then there was another lady that had kidney cancer. And then there were other people that would come in contact with me. And it was almost like the orbs would, would heal them. I just ask. It's not me. I don't do it. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm still clueless. Yeah. I just call, call on the, the, these beings to do it. So I get a call to go to Washington, D.C., to help a young boy that's um, going to die. He had a year to live. And it's in the book. It's a really amazing story. And I suggest everybody uh, will be blown away when they read about this. Yeah, I agree. Of, <laughs> I yeah, agree. The, you know, the connections there. 
it, it reminds me a lot of I was in um, Alcoholics Anonymous for quite a while before I got hurt, and they kind of operate on that same principle: help help others remain clueless. If you think yeah. you've got it figured out, you're on the wrong path, brother. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. Um, sticking on animals. What's going on with owls? I know you wrote a lot about owls. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen the movie The Fourth Kind that that yeah. featured owls. That's I was trying to pick like when you were writing about owls, I'm going, where did I see the owls? I had to look it up on the internet. Go, oh, that's right. That creepy movie. <laughs> well, let me tell you the weirdest thing about that. For some reason, um, the owls have been the guardian protector of, of me. And I know this, I have seen it too many times. I've, I've witnessed a big old giant owl fly right up right when I was about to cut a tree. Uh, I had a tree, a ladder on top of a house leaning against a 70 foot pine tree. Light and it's only this close to this, the roof, right? And lightning hit that pine tree and killed it. And it was going to fall on their house. So they, it was a friend of mine, asked me to help them get it down. It was one of those freebie things, right? So we devised a way to put a ladder on top of the roof, a 16 foot extension ladder, and lean it against oh. the tree and then go up and cut the top off the tree, oh. right? That's what we're going because it was Crazy. so big, it would hit the fence. <laughs> yeah, this is young guys, right? Yeah, yeah. So I go up on that ladder uh, and I get it up and that puts me 40 foot up in the tree. So if I can cut it off there, tie a rope around it and let them pull it and we'll just bring it down in two pieces. So we got up there, got the ladder set up. I got the chainsaw in my hand. I walk up on the top of that ladder and it's kind of wobbling on the tree, right? And somebody's holding it down at the bottom. And then right when I went to pull, I had the, the saw hooked by a rope. I was pulling it up, you know, short rope tied to me. And right when I did that, this big, beautiful uh, white owl with gray speckles on its chest and all flew right up 25 feet away in a tree next to me and just perched down eyeball to eyeball to me and instantly I recognized that that was a sign that trouble was there. And this has happened when I was shot. There was an owl appeared next to me. When my house has been struck by lightning twice, I was nearly killed two times by lightning. Yeah. Twice. Burnt my house up two times. And um, the owl was there, appeared on top of my antenna. I write about that, I think. Yeah, you did. Uh, so it, but anyhow, I, I come down the ladder and I thought immediately you need to tie that ladder at the top to the tree. It was just put into my head. So I took a rope, went back up the ladder, tied the top of the ladder against the tree. So if it pulled off the house, I wouldn't fall. I could still hang on yeah. to the ladder, right? So I crawled <laughs> up there and cut the top off. And when I did, the tree swung back and forth and yanked the bottom of the ladder off the roof. And here I am hanging on that ladder. Oh, that owl had to come up there it would have hurt me really bad. And, but it's always been that way. So I believe, I know, I, I, in, in the, I just know this somehow um, through all uh, life's experience that the phenomenon are like spirits 
We call them spiritual because they are like spirits. They're, they can appear magically and disappear and they can change shapes and they know what you're thinking. It's, it's, it's something so powerful we can't grasp it. But uh, they appear to us in the form of animals. The mm. Egyptians knew this. All their gods were animals. Yeah, They weren't ancient aliens. They were hawks or ibis bird or an alligator. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the Sphinx was probably originally a lion. Yeah, and, and if you look at the biblical story of Ezekiel, where he talks about these um, wheels within the wheels that come down and land, and out comes these cherubim or opening angels. There were angels. And he describes them as having a face of a man, a face of a cow or ox, a face of a, a lion, and a face of a hawk or eagle on the back. So it was, uh, it was, you know, the, even the angelic beings, they come and they look like nature and they look like human too. So what is that? We, we can't understand it. There's no way. But I do know if you walk out tomorrow and this fox crosses your path, take your time and Google what it means, the meaning or symbolism of that, or a dove, or an owl, or a turtle. could be anything. And... I think it'll start opening us up to the spiritual world. Yeah, and the Native found... Americans knew a lot about that. They looked to the animals yeah. for guidance all the time. Yeah. We've got a lot of, um, I live here in Idaho, and we've got old stones that nobody really knows how old they are. They'll tell you, they're oh, they're from this period when these people lived there. But it's like, yeah, just because those people lived there didn't doesn't mean that that's who made these stones, but... You know, right. they did things. Right. We do things a lot different than than they did years ago. So yeah. um, Skinwalker Ranch, that's another place that's famous for having phenomena happen like like you have at your place. Do you think it's a geological phenomenon or is it more about the people in the place? I think it's about uh, it's about both possibly. Is it what I do know, studying uh, Egyptian um, sacred geometry? I have a friend, you, you can look him up. His name is Dr. Robert Gilbert. He runs what's called the Vesica Institute. He's brilliant. He talks about sacred geometry and um, how the Egyptians um, understood what it meant. But in Egypt, the common thing they dig out of the ground when they do an archaeological digs are pendulums, mm. thousands and thousands and thousands, more than anything. That's what they dig up over really? there. Most people don't know it, but they were good at taking these pendulums and finding these ley lines on the ground. The, the, the way he described it is the whole earth. It's like a die hole. It's creating electricity. That's why yeah. you see it on the aurora yeah. borealis this green light right it's just magnetism but he says there's lines just like this that crisscross both ways all around the world sometimes they're real close together sometimes they're far apart and they're positive and negative lines and they're always going around the planet 
And in those lines, these frequencies are where these entities are, these negative ones and these positive ones. This is his description from Egypt. This is old. Even the Masonics believe in that. They, yeah. When they laid Washington out, they used pendulums to yeah. do it. They brought up an obelisk there. So um, what he told me, he said, if if one of those negative lines was to pass through one corner of your house, just say in one of your child's bedroom, it went right through that bedroom. There's a good chance over time the child would uh, suffer really bad illness because that negative energy is always pounding on them. These entities are going through there, traveling this line. So the Egyptians would find those lines with the pendulums and transmute them, lift them up off the ground. Mm. However, they did that, which would uh, keep the negative energies away. And that's what the obelisk is supposed to do. Transmute negative energy. Oh, interesting. Create a a city without all that negative stuff. Interesting. It's like a grounding rod almost for (laughs) all that negative energy. Interesting. Oh, man. So that could be what's happening at Skinwalker. And then you get people that have no grounding, that have uh, have no faith maybe, or, or has never known it, uh, can get around something like that and, and fear sets in or it tests you. Um, and once that fear comes in, it just magnifies and those negative energies can get worse. But it's just a piece of dirt. Yeah. You know, now do you, have you checked your property? Are you on any ley lines? No, no. It doesn't matter where I go. I come to your house and we'd experience the orb. That's the, the hitchhiker effect that you were describing in your book. Yeah. That's well, that means it would, it would lead me and go to you. Oh, okay. Okay. It would just, once you meet me and, uh, this is why we write that because the, this is in the findings. This is what these scientists have discovered. And there are a lot of them that are testifying to this. Uh, and it'll be on the History Channel this summer, this Very new series. Very interesting. Uh, but people tend to um, go home and, they're, and it starts appearing to them. So that's kind of what it is. So you write a lot about the lady. Tell us a bit, a bit about the lady. I found that to be a very interesting, the way I look at it is these, these things, whatever are in control and maybe are sending you something that would be easy on the eyes. Is that a, is that a good way of, of putting it <laughs> compared well, to the no, little green man? Yeah. Well, what I tell you what happened there was when I was taken in 2007, they implanted this in my brain that I had to tell the world. That's why I came home wanting to tell it. I mean, because yeah. they they put it in me in a way that I can't get it out. And it's just so strongly uh, something I have feel like I have to do. And so and it, they helped me. They said, we're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. And they did. They, my sickness had gone away. And didn't matter how much any good happened. The community and the church thought I was crazy and playing with the devil. You know, it's a yeah. fundamentalist around here. And that's something that I can't really grasp. 
because I grew up in Northern California, like most of my audience is from that area or Southern California. We didn't have that. Like if that happened in the early nineties, mid nineties, when I grew up where I grew up, you'd have been star of the town. People have been knocking your door down, trying to figure out, you know, what happened, but the way you were treated is really sad. Um, that's the only way I can describe. I felt like it was, you were ostracized by your community. Yeah, I surely was. And, and the churches that I was a deacon in, um, you know, they gave me the choice. You can come to church, but you can never talk about this again. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. See ya. Yeah. And my wife still goes there. And um, and, and I'm happy, I, you know, but I don't see eye to eye with them anymore on that. And I don't feel like I need anybody to tell me how to connect to the spirit world, to God. I can walk out and do it myself. And yeah. we all can, yeah. If you just ever understand it and make that connection, but you got to want to. And um, but the lady, yes, the lady. So for the first five years, it was uh, a horrible time of darkness. I talk about because of all the ridicule on my children, my little girl, ten years old, going to elementary school, coming home with big tears running down her face. You know, all the kids making fun of her daddy. The teacher calls them up and makes them tell the story, and they all get laughed at. And oh, it was horrible. a horrible time. And I was out every night in, of my life crying out to the heavens, why did you come? And, you know, we see and shadow people in the house. That was freaky. Yeah. I saw big fireballs, right? And suddenly I got shadow people walking in the house. Well, it was nothing more than the same beings. But they moved in real close at that point. They came, they took me in their fiery form. And then next thing I know, they're in my house and they never left. They're still here all the time. Orbs appear inside my house, visible to anybody this big. And it'll be sizzling or making electrical sounds. Uh, That was just last month. It happened at Greenland. But. I was upset with the phenomenon because I felt like, thank you for helping me physically. But now things are worse than ever. I I still can't get, I can't get a job now. Nobody will hire me. Uh, I have a chronic illness that, uh, that made it hard for me anywhere I went to to even buy insurance because of rheumatoid, right? That's, there's no cure for it. It's terrible disease. Yeah, so um, it was a bad five years there. And finally, I gave up at Easter of 2012. And I walked outside and said, you know, I've been trying for five years to get a photo. I see you. But as soon as I get a camera, it disappeared. I wanted to share it with friends so they wouldn't think I'm crazy. I was dying to do this. And these beings made me want to do this. And so it come to a head at Easter 2012 and I walked out and said, I'm never doing this again. Thank you for coming and thank you for, you know, everything, but you screwed my life up. I don't want to talk about you or none of this ever again. I was talking like that, shouting to the sky. And when I went to bed that night, this, this loud thunderous voice woke me up at 3 a.m. And it said, arise in a manly, as loud as a deep, uh, baritone voice you ever heard it was just extremely spooky because I went from a laying down asleep to setting up in the bed and at dark 
Only thing I could see was the clock that said 3 a.m. And next thing I know, I'm outside, fully dressed from being in my underclothes. Right now, I'm fully dressed, shoes on, shirt, pants, and I'm out in the backyard near the dog kennel. And this uh, blast of wind hits me. Yes, mighty rushing wind. I've heard it said that way. But it was a wind, a really fast, hard blast, so quick that it just blew me off balance backwards. And I landed on my back in the grass, in the leaves, as this translucent bull, cow, ran over top of me. And, you know, grazed on a farm. My neighbor had a dairy farm, and we were always with cows or pigs or something, goats. Um, I knew that, that this, I didn't know where the cow come from and didn't think there was any around at that time that my neighbor could have had. He still had cows, but he had them in another place. So, uh, and it was translucent looking when it went over. That was the weird thing. But it was also fast. It scared me. When I hit my back on the leaves, I rolled in my stomach and I pushed myself up to run all in one motion, you know, one second from my hitting on my back to my stomach to my knees. And that's when uh, I got the shock of my life. There, six foot behind me, was this woman, beautiful beyond anything you can imagine. She was glimmering like, like, I mean, she was beautiful. A woman that was four foot tall, maybe. Her feet were uh, barefooted. And she was floating about three feet off the ground. I was on my knees. So however high it is sitting on my knees to my chin, that's you know, about this high off the ground. That's about how high her feet was. So she was looking down at me. I had this long white flowing dress on that looked like stars twinkling. And she looked at me and the power from her appearance was tremendous as a, a bull. It, my energy fright level was through the flipping roof, right? Oh, yeah. So it scared me really bad. But now I'm looking at this beautiful lady. So my fear turned into um, this ultimate respect for this, whatever this is. And um, she said, you know why I'm here. And I knew because I just cussed at the sky, yeah. cursed them because they left me in a mess. She said, this is your burden you, you must bear. You got to tell the people uh, what you know. It's important you do, and we're gonna help you. She said, I will help you from this point forward. I will help you with witnesses. I'll help you with a camera. I'll help you with uh, a lot of things, but you got to understand this is your burden. And I said, okay, I accept it. And um, so that was the first time I ever saw her. And I saw her again the following Easter in 2013. She came back. And then the next Easter, well, always on Easter for Strange. some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she appeared, it came through my house, out of my house, out on the front porch. And my mother lived next door. My niece and her daughter was there and saw her come floating out of the house and looked at her. They got eyeball to eyeball uh, contact standing on my mother's driveway and coming out of our house. Just 
pretty close together. But all I know is from the things she told me that she was very upset with the suffering of this planet and that it couldn't continue and that a shift in the powers of heaven has changed to um, there's a new it's a new age and that the, the, the divine feminine would bring about peace and so that's kind of what she told me and I, and I, so she gave you an animal that she said represented humanity what happened I, I remember from the story that you put it in the dog kennel what happened to it after the dog kennel I, I went it wasn't there when I went back that's what I it thought. was and but she told me it was symbolic because I, you know, I asked what was this about? Yeah. What was, and she says it was symbolic of humans because it, it was like it had no hell, hell, uh, head or no tail, but it felt like a, a little chihuahua maybe with no legs, no head, no tail, just a furry body. And it felt alive but prickly to yeah. my hand. And she said it was representative of humanity. It had no no direction. It lost all direction. And um, she didn't like that a whole lot. And that's why I think they're waking up the people. They're yeah. going to appear, whether anybody likes it or not, they're yeah. going to appear. And I think yeah. the people feel that. I think that if you gave that to the normal person to said this is, you know, what you are they say yeah that's that's probably about right i mean yeah. maybe people in power are going to go no we've we've got it we know what we're doing but i think it's clear to most of us underlings that they don't have any idea what they're doing and they're just making everything worse uh, uh they don't they don't know what this phenomena is i can tell you yeah they have no clue and you've been and no, surrounded by these people does. And you've been surrounded by these people. One of the other things that I found interesting was the metamaterials that you spoke of that they activated with you and not with other people. What do you think's going on with that? Well, that was a hard one for me to understand. Um, but they knew something. They, they knew uh, basically what I was told is, is they know if you've been, uh, if you've been taken. If you've been on board and in another place, they can tell because of after you are inside whatever they take you in. I mean, they sure they take you away from here, and it's in one of these balls of light. Um, for some reason, that uh, signature will show up if you touch that metal again, some way. Uh, it's it's like you've been marked. And you got to wonder, like, you don't mark something for no reason. Like, you mark cattle for slaughter. You mark uh, fish for counting. Like, typically when, when we mark things, it's not a good thing. But, you know, hopefully for your sake and, I mean, probably millions of others, that this is a good thing. And you guys are marked to do good things and to help others and yeah, you know. I think that's what it's about, and you're part of it. There's a reason you and I are talking. There's oh, no coincidence. I, at all. I felt that as soon as I started reading your book, I went, "Oh man, yeah. I I I came into contact with this guy for a reason. I don't know what reason it is, but I'm sure at some point I'll look back and go, "Oh yeah, that's why that happened." 
you know? Yeah. As humans, we have terrible, we have terrible, you know, ability to look at, at things and see how they're going to affect us down the line. At least I do. I've made some terrible decisions in my life, as you can see. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you didn't understand or know, you know what I mean? And that, what do you say? Uh, I just, I'm sorry for you. Oh no, you know, it is what it is. I've, I've learned to, you know, live with it. I was out digging a hole yesterday with one of my buddies. We were burying a tree in my backyard. You know, we're digging a four foot hole and I didn't even put my prosthetic on and, and we're about halfway. He's like, what are you, what is wrong with you? You pay people to do this. Stop doing this. I'm like, man, you should see the hole I dug last summer. (laughs) You still got to keep going, right? You can't just lay down and stop. But, um, yeah, the lady, who is she? I don't know. Who Who is the phenomenon? I don't know. But I do know 16 years or really 61 years of life. I believe that there was a force trying to rid me of this planet. Whilst another force was trying to keep me alive. And that's being all the accidents that happened. Yeah, really I can. Sp- freak accidents. I can definitely relate to that. I mean, sometimes it just feels like the universe is rolling against you. And sometimes it feels like you're, you know, it's like a surfer. You, there's a fine, fine line between catching that wave and riding it out and looking great and getting folded up and hammered down into the coral. You know, it's just that, that tiny little bit. Um, so what do you think about, Last question here, and we'll, we'll get you out of here. We, we've been hearing in the last, I mean, like I said, I've been following the UFO thing since I was a kid, and I don't remember hearing about interdimensional technology and simulated universes and stuff like that until the last, like, five, ten years. What are your thoughts on those type of things? Like, are, are we maybe looking at something that lives with us that we just can't see or maybe are these the computer programmers poking their heads in (laughs) well i think it's probably both um i I know for sure 100 percent that these beings are always around us all the time never ending they're above us by the millions there's there's there got to be millions of them um whatever they are but they're highly intelligent. They know our thoughts. They know what you're going to do before you do it. And if you know, um, I think, I think they will help us if we ask, they'll help you if you ask. And some people's have figured that out and probably, uh, very few, but yeah, they're always here. Maybe they, uh, a part of creation. Um, part of a mutualism, you might say, because humans, we all, this whole planet is based on a mutualism, if you understand. Uh, For example, you you can eat plant material, but your body can't digest chlorophyll, Mm. which is like hemoglobin in blood, right? It's Um, A-D-T. But there's a bacteria that lives independent of us in our stomach, that loves to eat plant material and and appreciates every bit of it you give them and yet they give us the the nutrients 
is their byproduct, their waste, is our the nutrients that we get from the plants. So without that bacteria, you couldn't eat. Because it's, it's totally independent. Mm. It's a mutual thing. The whole body's created like that. All the trees, all the nature, everything works in a mutual way. And I think possibly they're part of that somehow. And they're monitoring us and they're not liking all this weather is changing. Uh, people are more, uh, there's wars everywhere and there's suffering and there's homelessness and the suffering is their main thing. Well, in my opinion. well, I am, I'm so glad that you were able to keep your house and to get on a, and, you know, get along with these things because, you know, today we live in such a different world than when this started. Now I was on your Instagram earlier. We can go onto your Instagram and see videos of you doing these things. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> your, your book was great. I hope everybody goes out and buys it. It's a great story. You know, it, it can't be an easy thing to write a first book. I, I, can't even imagine. So yeah, we, we really appreciate you coming on, Chris. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you so much for having me. All right. Good night, everybody. Run for, run.